Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Prestige. Uh, this is our hundredth episode. This is a podcast all about films, filmmaking, and film theory. Each week we pick a movie, review it, talk about it, and discuss some of the ideas and themes that it throws up. And as always, we end the show with our recommendations for further watching, further reading movies inspired by this week's film. But before we kick off, quick catch up on what else have you been watching. So, Rob, I, I, I I've been trying to sort of watch some. Sort of more films that people recommend that have won big awards that are worth seeing. So I've watched this week the 2015 film Deepan from French director Jacques Audard. Audard, about these things. Um, it tells the story of a Sri Lankan Tamil warrior who flees to France as an illegal immigrant. Um, and he takes a job as a caretaker of some rundown tower blocks outside of Paris. And there's a the film sort of sits in two halves, and it's kind of somewhere. The first half is about the sort of the isolationism and the sort of the disconnection you feel as an immigrant in a country. Um, second half, kind of touching on mirroring his experience as a Tamil warrior and the experience of a sort of a drug-infested tower block in Paris. It's not what you'd call a fun film, but it certainly is very evocative and certainly very emotionally drawn and the the main character the three of the family um him a woman who isn't his wife but pretends to be his wife to get um immigration and a child who isn't either of their child pretends to be their child for immigration um are the three men and their performances throughout outstanding i am not going to attempt to pronounce their names because i will brutally massacre them all imdb wikipedia will listen um particularly the guy who plays deepan um the sort of the main figure, um, he he was very very watchable, very very intense, and very kind of enigmatic as a screen presence. So yeah, it's really not a fun film, but a very good one. Sam, yes, this week I have been to the cinema and seen a film. I think we're both looking forward to see. It's Edgar Wright's Baby Driver. Um, Baby Driver is about well, it's, it's basically about a getaway driver um, who is beholden to a, a crime boss for for a particular reason and is trying to pay his way out of a relationship with him. Um, and also, one of the one of the things about him is that he has sinister as a result of a car accident he was in, which is a fairly traumatic starting point for the film. Um, it's is very good. It's not. I didn't think it was as blow me away brilliant as the first two Cornetto films. But then few things are. Um, I thought it was brilliantly watchable, and it did. The pacing did drop a little bit in the middle. But to be honest, I mean, it's it's one of the best films I've seen this year. And the fact it isn't as good as Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz is is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, so few films are as good as those two. That that is that is true. But I do have a huge soft spot for the world's end. I you know, I think it is often the lesser brother, but I do like it a lot. Yeah. Yes. I wouldn't put it in in the same league as the first two, but yeah, it's is worth watching. Oh, I would say when it comes to the three of them, uh, Frost, Peg and Wright, that they are never as good as when they're together. No. Uh, even things like Paul, which had two of the three in it, 
it just isn't as good as when they're all three around. And I think that there's some, there's some chemistry and some magic there that uh, is hard to repeat elsewhere. Talking of chemistry and magic leads us quite nicely into this week's film. Indeed, it does. Almost like you planned that. Well, I do try. I do try. So this week, for our for our hundredth episode, we have gone to the film that sort of indirectly gave us our name. It is the two thousand six film, The Prestige. Are you watching closely? What you're about to see, it's considered safe. He's complacent, he's predictable, he's boring. A real magician tries to invent something new that other magicians are going to scratch their heads over. I suppose you have such a trick, Mr. Baldwin. That's your thing. It's the one they're going to remember me for. Directed by Christopher Nolan and starring Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman in the lead roles, The Prestige describes the tale of a bitter rivalry between two Victorian stage magicians. Scarlett Johansson, Michael Caine and Rebecca Hall also feature as, I suppose you might call it, collateral damage in the destructive feud that stems from the onstage death of the wife of Hugh Jackman's character, Robert Angier, for which Angier blames Alfred Borden, the Bale character. The titular prestige refers to a particular section of a magical illusion, as Caine explains in a voiceover at the very beginning. And over the course of the film, it's up to the viewer to work out what the particular prestige is at any one time. Rob. How to express my feelings on the prestige. I have gone on record on this podcast many times as being, whilst not, I wouldn't say a Nolan hater, but not won over by his charms. I don't find him to be the master of modern cinema people make him out to be. But I do have a place in my cinematic soul for some of his early work, including The Prestige and Memento. And I'll get later into why I think that is. But I honestly, I do enjoy this film. I think this film is very clever. And I think it's a film that can keep being clever after you finish watching it. And in a way that some of his other films, you're like, oh, yeah, that was really good. And then you think about it afterwards, you're like, no, it wasn't. Like, it was it was pointless and the massive plot holes, which is one of my issues with his later work, like the Batman films and Interstellar. Here, it does work. The, 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 the script is so tightly tuned and everything comes together that there aren't massive plot holes. And the things that don't quite add up just deepen the mystery rather than feeling like a plot hole. I think that... Hugh Jackman is eminently watchable in almost everything he does. I think he's a great screen presence. I'm still unsold on Christian Bale. I don't think he is a charismatic presence. Part of that is, in, in this film, something played upon is that he isn't the the stage magician, certainly, that Christian Bale is. Um, I'm a big fan of Scarlett Johansson. I think Michael Caine is very good. Rebecca Hall certainly is, is luminous in this, in her certain role. All in all, I very much enjoy it. Uh, but I think it's one of those films that is very clever. It knows it's clever. Um, and But I think it, it just toes that line just right of being interesting and rewatchable. And I think at this point I'll put in a massive spoiler warning because we will move into spoilers really fast for this film. Um, that this is my second watch through of the film. And it's certainly knowing the, how the film ends... 
the film certainly works on a very different level the second time around. What about you, Sam? Because the, 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 the prehistory here, this is, is Sam was the one who recommended this as the name. It wasn't. It wasn't my idea. It was Sam's idea. So I'm intrigued to know Sam's thoughts on this film. I presume they're good. It, well, yeah. It, given that that it was my recommendation for a name, it's unsurprising that I do like this film. I, I just it, even before I watched this for this, um, and it was the second or third or fourth rewatching of it. Um, I was thinking about that. I I like this film because it's all about how. There are no shortcuts, and you've, you've given a spoiler warning already. So this this is where I get very spoiler fantastic. Is this is just hard work all the way down? So Hugh Jackman thinks he he desperately thinks there is a way he can get a shortcut and show real magic on stage. And Christian Bale reveals that actually the way to do it is just to have a twin brother and to commit the whole of your life to your acts. And I, I just love that because the message of this... You, you're right about this. This film is is clever and it knows it's clever and it wants you to know it's clever. But also this, this film has a message that says, like, just... You just have to work hard at what you do. And there is... I mean, he... Alfred Borden talks a lot about the truth to his wife and to Olivia. And then you you have things like Angie is saying, he lives his acts. And all the way through, you have these little flags. You have Rebecca Hall saying, I know what you are to Christian Bale, but... All the way through, you have little, little signals that tell you actually what this film is about. And you're right; if you, if you rewatch it, you know. I mean, you know what's coming, and I don't think it's any the worse for that, because I think the second and third time you watch this film, this becomes a film about the process of watching the film. Yeah, I think, I think the thing that struck me first time around is that the very, the very first line of Borden's diary is, "We were two men on the start of uh, an adventure." And you take that to mean him and Angiers, but he clearly doesn't mean him and Angiers. He means him and him and his brother, um, Albert and Frederick, as their as their full names are, uh, thus giving Alfred. And I think that's that's the thing for me is all these little and that's where I think we can look at this. What I would say was for me was the big theme of this, and it's the big theme of the film is that of misdirection. Obviously, in the world of, of magic. Um, it's a big thing here but watching it back and watching it a second time around it's very clear that there are so many so many times that basically Nolan tells us what's going on you know be it the, the, the twins or be it the nature of, of Tesla's machine he tells us many times what is going on but we don't see it the last line from uh, Michael Caine is you know you don't see it you aren't really looking and it's the same thing for this film that the, we, we don't see because we are talk, caught up in a the emotions of it all. We are caught up in the in the visuals of it all. We don't see what they are literally telling us. Um, but once you know it's there, it's there. I think for me, it, it often feels like a often feels like uh, he's making known making these films about filmmaking. Uh, often being quoted that in in uh, his work in Inception that. The crew that make Inception 
resemble quite a lot like a film crew. You've got directors, producers, studios, production designers, actors. There's there's a whole kind of thing. And this feels a bit like, as we've said, Nolan saying, well, here's a magic trick. But that is a clear analogy for filmmaking. Like You, you, you don't want to know what's going on here. Now, I'm going to... I, at university, lived with a, a guy called Steve who was heavily into magic. Um, and he went on to work for Darren Brown and do various things there with magic. And the one thing he always told me is no one expects the length you will go to for a trick. How hard it is to make it look simple. And that is that that's half of how mag- how magicians work is that you don't you don't expect them to go to that level to do these things. And that's what this film is, and that's what the say film is like. Film, and I, I can speak to this. Film is a huge, massive, wieldy operation in which hundreds, if not thousands, people come together to make an hour and a half, two hours of moving pictures. The effort that goes into making a film is huge. Let alone a period film. Let alone a film, a period film like this that has so many visuals in it and so many kind of twists and turns in it. But I think the film, to me, works on a slightly deeper level when it comes to misdirection and this is one that didn't hit me until well after it is that a lot of the film is told in flashback if we take the present day to be Borden in prison and Angier's uh, dead as it were um, it's all told in flashback but it's not their flashbacks it's the flashbacks written into a diary that both diaries are revealed to be be written for the other person so Borden's diary is revealed at the end to be written for Angiers. It was a, it was a, a plant via Olivia for Angiers, and the same thing for um, Borden's diary. But uh, Angiers' diary at the end it reveals that it was written for Borden. So it's hard to trust. It, it, it's almost the ultimate unreliable narrator that they just you can't actually trust what's in these diaries. The, these the moments that led up to these you can't trust anything in them because it is only written from someone's point for someone else. So. You know, the, the ideas, the things that Borden says and the things that Angier said in the diaries, you have to take all of that with a pinch of salt because it wasn't written in truth. It was written for their rival. That, I think, is is another layer to this film, this diaries within diaries. Mm. And you, you're right that it, it, it becomes increasingly difficult to, to work out what the truth is. The the truth I mentioned the truth earlier that Borden mentions to Olivia and he says, Well, is that the truth? And you don't know what the truth is and then it gets revealed that actually the truth of why she came to him from Angie is something different. And and you have that also with what Sarah says when she says, Do you love me and not today? And whether something is true or not changes from day to day but that idea of, of shifting slippery truth starts in the diaries because you're right they are they are sort of they are performances they're presentations for the other mm. they're written for you know they, they're written in, in a way they're, they're written to fool the audience yes you think as a viewer first time viewer you think okay this is what is being presented and even even as a second or third time viewer, there are bits that I've forgotten, and then I I got sort of I got wrong footed by something in the diary. Even 
we are being misdirected as an audience, but they are misdirecting each other in many ways. And and the rivalry between those two things um, is 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 what drives them. And I mean, as I say, with this film, there are twists upon twists upon twists. Um, I do before we we kind of sort of close down our discussion on themes. I've got a couple of questions for that. I'm intrigued to know Sam's answer on. Um, so there are two two theories that I want to talk about um, and see things. So first of all, more of a thematic theory, and that is that Angiers and Borden are two halves of Nolan's personality. Borden is the natural magician. He is naturally, because nature of being a twin, he is um, just kind of inherently sort of naturalist magician. And but he hasn't got the sort of the flair and the sort of showmanship of of uh, of Angiers. Angiers on his side has a the science, the Tesla's creature, but also the sort of the the showmanship of thing, and the, the idea that these two warring magicians are the two halves of a creative spirit. Especially Nolan, who, for when he is good, is a master of of um, of film form, and he is a master of kind of of a good story. I mean, I, I say. I will discount some of his later work, but you look at Memento, you look at this one, both these films operate primarily on editing tricks. You know, the, the, this film particularly, there's, there's a, um, it always occurred to me that, that there are these, there's no sign to say that we're changing location or time frame or anything. And you just cut to a different scene, you've got to work out where in the chronologically it sits. No, and I, I looked up, there are 146 jump cuts in this. Exactly. About one one a minute. So I really like the idea that, that, that there's this other other sort of metatextual narrative going on about the war between two different sides of the creative soul. I I see what you're saying. And also you have, you have that moment right at the end where Angier or as as Lord Cordwell is it Cordwell? Um, yep. At the prison, says you were always the better music, better musician, better mu- better magician. But I think you'll have to agree that, and that that's sort of the resolution of the film is is him finally saying to Borden, "Look, you were better than me, but look where it's got you." Mm. And I think there there are times like that when when Nolan realizes his own limitations. That's when he is brilliant. Because he can say, look, I understand that this part of me is is insufficient. Like it seems seems to be him saying that the the tricks and the technical side and the science it, as exemplified by Angier will never quite be where I want it to be. Mm. But I have nevertheless got a successful film out of it. That that's what I was saying right at the end. I think also for me, it's one of the things that occurred to me was there's a line I can't I can't remember who says it about it was all about seeing the look in their eyes. Um, and as someone else in the film, someone also says, you know, it's the world is solid all the way through, but if for a moment, for a moment, you make him question that, make him think something else, that's what it's about, and that's where I think. Nolan can be good and bad. Like if you watch the, the earlier work, where like, it is, it's a look in your eyes. You're like, you know, this, this is a master at work. This is a dazzling bit of filmmaking that takes you to a different place and different time, and does something with you. You know, even Memento that I mentioned previously, 
which is essentially a very straight revenge story, but it's told in a way that takes you somewhere, makes you experience something. And that's the good bit of where coming. The problem I have is I think the later work where he kind of it comes all about the ephemeral moment. You know, the, the Batman films, as I discussed, not a big fan of, they, they, when you watch them, they are an enjoyable experience. And then you sit and think and you realize all the problems with it. Same with Interstellar. Interstellar is, you know, it's a visual feast. But the second you stop after experiencing it, you can go, oh, well, that, that moment, the bubble, bubble pops, the moment fades. Um, and that's where I think the, the analogy of magic, and if you want to take that to Nolan's work, kind of falls apart because he, or he certainly starts to live more in having that moment and not being too concerned about the wonder afterwards. Talking of the wonder after, this is my second theory. Not, not my theory, but a theory that I've heard. The theory is, and goes this, Net Tesla's machine never worked. It never, ever worked. Tesla is a com... Angiers was, was sent to Tesla by Borden. Borden knows he's a con man, knows he's in so the machine never worked. So the whole real transported man is all him and Root. Uh, the, the double from earlier in the film pulling it together and that the evidence for this is the film is all about how you know it's magic that real magic doesn't exist it's science and all that kind of thing so why they throw suddenly in a um a sort of a deus ex machina style science fiction concept is unknown and also the broken leg that you've got a broken leg um in angiers uh, he hobbles most of the film, but in the end sort of performances, you see him leaping up onto the balustrade of a, of a balcony, and you see him in the water tank kicking away with both legs against the glass, things he wouldn't be able to do with a broken leg. Your thoughts? Hmm. I'm I'm not so sure about that one. How do you explain the, the final shot in that case? The theory goes, waxworks. That it, it was all this elaborate trick to to put the, the I mean the idea I, I do agree with is that the whole hundred shows limited game was all designed to entrap Borden for murder. That was the whole point of everything I think there. Um, but he did it because the machine didn't work. I think it comes to the point that people don't want to believe that the machine worked. The 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 reason I have trouble with that is that Michael Caine would have if he if he'd seen him on the slab. Michael Caine knows the difference between him and Root, mm. and he he definitely saw Angier on the slab. I, I I agree there are plot holes, but this is what I'm saying. Like that is a theory that I'm like, hmm, interesting, and it does explain the fact you know broken leg leaping onto things. And I, but this is why I think this film works so well is that that sits in your mind. You can think about it, you turn it over, and it becomes an idea. You think about this film afterwards. And as I say, the plot holes where things don't quite line up, like the fact that suddenly you have this magic, actual, real magic machine, just deepens the, the the effect of the film. I agree with you that it's... I mean, there, there are plot holes in, in this film and there are things things that leave you questioning certain parts of it, but they don't really detract from the experience of the film. Mm. I mean, I, I looked at... There's a section of, of sort of gaffs and plot holes on IMDb for this film and almost all of them I thought well yeah that's a gaff but why why does it matter yeah because it's about the trick it's about the the, the, the say the misdirection it's about the, the, the and as I say you've got to remember so much of this film is 
told in lying flashback. You can't. You can't actually. Apart, I think you can probably trust everything in the prison forwards, and the Lord Caldwell stuff. But you can't trust anything that chronologically happens for that, because it's almost all told in the flashback. So, so Sam. Recommendations. I, I, it is a singular film in many ways, but I'm intrigued to know where you want to take us. It is. Well, I have one one thematic which is fairly predictable, and you've mentioned it already. Um, it's from the same director, and it's an it's another film with with interesting narrative qualities, and it's as as you said, it tells a fairly basic story, but it does so in a really interesting way, um, and that's the film Memento. Um, and yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the leading actor, but as you said, it's just edited and directed in such an interesting way. And this is, I mean, whatever you think about Nolan, as you said, whatever you think about Nolan's later work, this was a truly innovative bit of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, my second one is an actor connection. Um, because uh, well, as you said, this is quite this is a one-off film, so there's not not a lot thematic that we can link to it. Um, I just wanted to give a shout out to David Bowie because, well, he's he's a uh, he's an underrated screen presence. People know about his his music, not necessarily his acting. Um, and it's the the classic film Labyrinth, which is just bizarre and bonkers and incredible fun mm. yep it's, it's it's a childhood classic in my house Excellent. I, I've also gone for one thematic and one actor um, the actor I've taken and just because I think she's often underrated is Piper Perabro who plays Angie's wife in, in this film she's an early, she's a smallish part she dies early on as we discussed um, she's done a lot of not great films. They're probably best known for starring Curtie Ugly. Uh, but I wanted to talk about her 2009 film, Carriers. This is a sort of end-of-the-world pandemic horror film uh, starring Chris Pine and Pitt Piper um, from the Pastor Brothers um, as directors and writers. It is horrific and tense and thrilling throughout. It didn't get a lot of love on release as many sort of sort of small horror films did, but Chris Pine's obviously gone on to be, do great things. He's very good in it, as is Piper here. So if you haven't checked out uh, Carriers and you like kind of a bit more something, a bit, more, a bit rough, a bit scarier, go for it. The other film that I want to talk about is a film that kind of comes with a certain amount of history between me and Sam. When we were back in school, we had a 24-hour film fest with our friends um, in which we got lots of alcohol and lots of movies and went for 24 hours. And... Prior to this day, there was lots of backing and forthing on what films we should be watching. Um, and I I fought for this film, and I fought against... I can't remember if I fought against Sam, I fought against some of our friends for this film. Um, I won, and I was, I was vindicated by my choice. And that is the 1995 film, The Usual Suspects. You didn't fight me, because I love this film. Um, it was a hard fight, and I, we, 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 I was up against watching Lost in Space, which was the other thing we fought about. So this film essentially is the tale of a heist, but without giving you away any kind of twists or spoilers, it has as much misdirection and 
watching what's going on the, as as the prestige does you haven't seen it it is up there with things like the sting in terms of it's uh, what's really going on this um and other kind of heist movies of that respect also it is one of the classics of 90s cinema if you haven't seen it i don't even know why you're listening to a film podcast just just go, go and watch it it's, it's amazing so guys that's our show that's the end of season two really uh, and our 100th episode so thank you for sticking with us over 100 episodes uh, if you have it's been two years of our life we've had a lot of fun with it yes yes indeed um we are we are both on twitter if you want to come and talk to us about films um we're both at prestige podcast you can find just me at rob Gaiji. and i'm at life underscore academic and we'll be back next week with season three where we should be looking at directors and looking at their their filmographies. So till then guys, we shall see you next week. The Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash kaiju industries. Rawr. Arg.